You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities, where we are still in the book of Samuel. We just wrapped up chapter three and went a whole lot of places I did not expect to go with that. I mean, we we went from Genesis all the way to Paul. Um, yeah, so. avoided Revelation just barely, but... Just, just stop short. Yeah, that's one we're probably not going to discuss, so don't ask. Right? Uh, hey, I'm there with you. I that That's more that I want to bite off and chew uh, for so many reasons, not to mention that the Greek is just like crazy weird. So yeah. I'm, I'm willing to deal with textual anomalies in, in Hebrew, uh, but my Greek is not good enough to even begin <laughs> to deal with Revelation. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, th- there have been many who have tried and I think most have failed. Most have failed. <laughs> that book. Wow. So, but let's talk about this book. Yes. It's more accessible. I know where to begin with this one, and so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're actually getting ready to go into. I know one of your favorite stories of the Old Testament, and yeah, are we are we getting all the way to that? Uh, we're getting pretty close. Yeah, I think we are. And so, oh well, maybe not. So we're doing chapter four. That the ark yeah. doesn't get returned until six. Okay, so. well, you you got to have this for setup, though. Well, yeah, so. I mean, we have to have four, so. Yeah. yeah, that's and actually the, we're getting to one of the stories about why this podcast even exists. So, um, let's. Which story are you thinking? The same one. The same one. Oh, okay. Keep going. I okay. mean, there there were a couple of them, but this is one of them. Yeah. Well, you know, always the other oddities. So the so, faith is important, but the oddities are too. Yes. So, well, we open up with chapter four. It, it's a it's a temporal clause in in the Hebrew. We'll get technical right off the bat. Uh, the bat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's now, the way to get them. Yeah, now the word Start of the Lord. The <laughs> uh, now the lo- word of the Lord came to all of Israel. So basically, what the writer is telling you, people know who Samuel is. He he has been established as a prophet. Uh, it's not just contained within Shiloh now. That God is actually speaking to the nation as a whole, and He's doing it from Shiloh through Samuel. Mm-hmm. So this is this is important because. Um, What's getting ready to happen, we're going to see how the people don't know what to do when they have a prophet. They, they just kind of miss the point of God sending a prophet to begin with. And so, I mean, it, in typical biblical fashion, and that's one of the things I do love about the Bible is the fact that God says, hey, you need to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And then people go out of their way to figure out a way not to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, go out of your way to do it the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the, the there's some debate, and I did not realize this until just last night, way after I finished all these notes, uh, whether or not that now the word of the Lord came to all of Israel should go with this chapter or, or the previous chapter. And the debate's based actually on the uh, way you sing the Bible, if you're going okay. to sing it in Hebrew. And it, it, that's what gives the clue as to where to do the chapter and verses breaks. Gotcha. And uh, I don't know enough about that to, to give you any kind of, you know, how it works. Uh, but it is, I think it's kind of interesting that the singing of the word was 
so pivotal to to maintaining and keeping this word alive and for us to even know how to pronounce it. And so music is actually a huge part of the history of preserving the Old Testament. So just a, you know, a freebie. But (laughs) and so anyway, uh, this section that we're going into and the the section encompasses chapter four to chapter seven, verse two. And most scholars all agree that this was probably a separate account that was written and told outside of Samuel before it was incorporated into the book of Samuel. Okay. Now, Bergen, uh, and he's one of our commentators that we're drawing from, he, he says, yes, it probably was. The thing is, it's been so thoroughly incorporated within the story mm-hmm. that there's basically no way to reconstruct what the original story was said apart from Samuel. Gotcha. Okay. Because there's so many phrases and you know, linguistic connections that, that really anchor it within this book. So... Verse um, one, the second part, so, you know, in verse two, we're being told that the Israelites go into the war against the Philistines. We're, we're not told why. We just know that, hey, they're going to fight the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Now, this is... Well, well I'd imagine if, 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 if we assume this is during the time of Judges, mm-hmm. which we know it, it's during the time of the Judges, mm-hmm. if we assume it's after Samson. Precisely. I think that's pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Then I'd imagine that the Philistines are pretty sore about losing their temple. Yeah. And, and all those folks. Precisely. And that's what I, yeah, we're getting ready. I was getting ready to say, this is where the scholars see the interlock between Samuel and the judges that it, it was, sorry, it was at this point, I get so excited about all this stuff. I talk too fast. Anyway, it's at this point that they think these actions are occurring right after Samson. Mm-hmm. So if you take those last two stories, the Levite and the, sorry, Micah and the Levite, and the Levite and the concubine, if you take those last two stories off and kind of scoot Samuel's timeline back to Samson, mm-hmm. and then those other two stories, we don't know where they happen other than they happen before Samuel. So they could happen anywhere in that, in that time period of the judges. And possibly even concurrent with Samson's dealings with exactly. the Philistines. Exactly. Because those stories were focused on the common everyday people where the judges' stories were focused on the individual judge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this was a nation, so lots of things were going on. And I think we kind of forget that, that not everybody's involved in every Bible story that's being told. Well, yeah, that, that's true. But I also, I mean, I think part of that's our perception of the way we present these stories when we have the church plays, you know, the mm-hmm. population is, the, you know, the whole nation is like 12. <laughs> right. You know, that's all that can fit on the, the platform. <laughs> Yeah, on one side of the table, anyway. So, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry, no, that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, to remember that this is a fully functioning nation, and, and and there are tens of thousands of people. We really don't know the the precise number, and right. but there, there's a lot of people going on with their daily lives while all of this is happening, and you know. If we didn't have Facebook and we didn't have the internet, just remember back when we were kids, the things that would happen in our nation that we wouldn't have any clue about till you know, months and months later, Mm -hmm. because they didn't make the nightly news. And now try to take that even further back in the cultural setting where... Yeah, information was the speed of a horse Exactly, exactly. If you had a horse, which the Israelites didn't have a lot of those, but that's a whole other story. So anyway... camels. They did. They did. And they were mostly used for women to write on. Um, oh, that's right. We covered that. Yep. 
Yeah. Sorry. Slept since then, didn't you? Yep, I did. <laughs> so the, the Israelites, they, they camp at Ebenezer. Um, and the Philistines, they're camped at Aphek. Um, so it's the southern end of the plain of Sharon wet and the west of the hill country of Ephraim. So the location isn't important other than to let you know that the Philistines, they're trying to expand their territory is basically what's going on. They, they want to expand north, and they're going to have to come up against Israel to make that happen. We, we aren't really given any other details other than 4,000 Israelites were killed. Mm-hmm. Because the, the thing is, the battle's not important here. The battle is, it, it kind of gives you the framework for what's being said and what the lesson is. Right. But the writer doesn't care. I mean, he, he just really doesn't. He, he only wants you to focus in on one thing, and that's in verse 3. And in, it's when the people ask, why has the Lord defeated us? And they at least have the wherewithal to recognize that the Lord has defeated them. The yeah. Philistines didn't do it. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, it's the why has the Lord defeated us? Because our enemies aren't good enough to take us out. Exactly. Exactly. And But notice who they're asking this question to. They're asking the elders of Israel. They, they are not talking to Samuel. They have a prophet. And instead of going to the prophet who talks to God, yeah. they go to the elders. And you've got to remember who the elders were. These were the same men whose brilliant solution to a woman being raped and killed in Gibeah was to rape and kidnap 600 more women and then start a civil war that almost destroys the tribe of Judah, uh, Benjamin. Right, right. These are not the guys with the best track record. I don't think there's somebody you really want to consult, and particularly not when you have a Samuel. Right. And so we're seeing that the people, they still haven't got it. They, they don't have a clue. Now, um, we should note that the, these elders were instituted by God. They're, they're established by Moses, and that's in Exodus 18, verses 13 through 27. That's when Jethro goes to Moses and says, hey, this is too heavy for you to bear. And you're going to need some help. And then Numbers 11, 16 through 17, we have it retold. And this time it's, it's approved by God that these elders would be in place. Mm-hmm. And, and their job was to take care of the lesser issues and free up Moses' time and energy so that he could deal with the more complex issues. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's who they were supposed to be. And um, there's some really fun plays on words in that story with when Moses is... Um, setting up that that council of elders because it's also at the time of the story where um Aaron and her stand with him on the the hillside and mm-hmm. when his arms were up and the the idea of heaviness mm-hmm. and the glory of God is tied to heaviness and the word kavod and and you begin to see all of these connections because we're going to have heaviness and kavod and, and the ability of a prophet to impact the outcome of a nation's battle all of this is going to get tied in. I didn't go into all of it, but if you want to go back and read those sections in Exodus and Numbers, um, they might actually be something you find profitable for helping understand as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 kavod, I, uh, that mm-hmm. one that's weight or we we get we translate it glory mm-hmm. often. Exactly. Um, uh, thank you, Tim Mackey. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, and that's the thing. The the Hebrew writers they they do this wonderful way of playing on words to conjure up imagery and to show how physical acts and physical events actually reflect spiritual reality. And they do that by using these words in connection and making you really play with what are they talking about? What, what are they really trying to get at? Mm-hmm. And you see that in the Hebrew in a way that you just don't see it in the English. 
So the, the point of all of this is to remind us that the people are not going to the prophet. They're, right. they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And instead, they are deliberately going to people who are responsible for almost destroying Benjamin, not to mention what they did um, to the women. Right. So they come up with a brilliant solution. And they said, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it may be among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Now, in Judges 20, 27, the Ark is moved from Shiloh. This is when they go up against Benjamin mm-hmm. to fight them. So that's the last time this happened. Wasn't a good idea then. Probably not a good <laughs> idea now. As we later see. <laughs> right. And this is the beginning of a sequence. And I'm not going to tell you what the sequence is. I'm being a little, having a little fun here. Okay. But nine times the writer combines two terms and it's going to occur from that four, chapter four to chapter seven. Nine times the writer is going to combine these two terms because he's going to be saying something important. And I'm going to tell you what it is when we get to the end of seven, but you know, listen for it. So. Okay. Yeah. He's going to scan the verse, see if you can see what it is. No, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm just looking to see where we are now. Yeah. We're in verse four. Okay. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, who is enthroned on the cherubim. Also important. That's going to come back to the fact that the cherubim are specifically mentioned here. Mm-hmm. So the Ark of the Lord of Hosts, the Lord of Armies, the Lord of Angels, the Lord of an Army of Angels. Mm-hmm. So uh, another translation that I recently learned is Lord of Wars. Mm-hmm. So there is a military application for the Ark. And we see that in Numbers 10, 35 through 36, mm-hmm. and um, Joshua chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 6. You know, the ark went around Jericho, and that was part of obeying God in that moment. But we've got to remember this is more than just a pretty box. Right. This isn't just something you're going to find at Hobby Lobby. And this is God's footstool on earth, if you go by Psalms 99, 55 or Psalms 132.7, or Lamentations 2.1. Now, here and in Jeremiah uh, 3, verses 16 and 17, it's identified as God's throne. Right. So the main thing is God's manifest presence is, is there with the ark. Right. And it, and it was from the time they left Egypt. And the, the assumption is that moving the ark is the same as moving God. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's not wise. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. They 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 take the Ark out like it's going to be some kind of good luck charm. Like it's something that's going like it's the Ark and it's not God. Yeah. They, they You know, if 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 we've got the Ark with us, then surely we can't lose. It, well, that's it. They're, they're trying to blackmail God into helping them win. Yeah. Because if God's present on the war and they lose. Well, it's it's like it's it's like gambling. With God's throne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty dicey. And I mean, when you think about it, that's basically what they're doing. It, it is. And they, you know, they take this ark out of a holy place. And when they do that, once again, they're not talking to Samuel. And if you'll notice in verse four, who, who's moving the ark? It's Hophni and Finkas. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is, is exactly what the text says. And it's a very pointed reminder that these two priests specifically are the ones present mm-hmm. 
And these are the ones who have been abusing the women who've been at the temple. Mm -hmm. And now they have the audacity to actually touch the ark. This is, again, not wise. Right. You know, I've seen Indiana Jones. I know what happens. Oh, no. So, <laughs> but as the priest, they would have been the ones who actually physically carried it out of the temple. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be important. And so verse five, as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And you know, this resounded is the idea of the earth shaking. Mm -hmm. And here it's, it seems that it's the people's voices that are making the earth shake. Mm -hmm. it, it's not God. It, it's the people. Right. And so there is, you know, power in numbers and there's powers in, in unity um, that's just available to all humanity. But this is not the same as when God shakes the earth. Right. And, you know, it was a pretty effective strategy at Jericho to, to give out a shout and to shake the earth. And, you know, the walls fell down. Mm -hmm. So the Philistines, verses six through seven, they, they hear the shouting and they, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrew mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for nothing like this has happened before. So the Philistines and the Israelites have the exact same theology at this point. Right. They're 100% in lockstep with each other, because if the image of God has arrived, therefore God had to have arrived. Mm -hmm. And so the, the thing is, the Israelites and the Philistines shouldn't have the same view of God and gods. Right. They, they should right. have very divergent views of God, because the Israelite God is not the same type of God that the Philistines worship. Sure. And that's the whole point of being holy, mm. completely other. So, um, you know, we, we can't really blame the Philistines. We, we can, I think there's actually a level and a place to, to have some respect for them. Right. But at least they recognize they should be afraid. Or the Israelites are, we got the ark, we're going to throw a party. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it... <laughs> the Philistines, you know, they didn't have the, the, the training, yet here you've got the priest who, again, have behaved so horrifically, now daring to touch the ark. Mm -hmm. the, the contrast, and, and the contrast is just going to build, and the writer is so good at, at building that contrast. And so, verses eight and nine Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? There are gods who struck the, these are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage, be men, O oh, oh Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines think that the devastation in Israel, I mean, I'm sorry, in Egypt was so great it couldn't just be one god. It had to be multiple gods. Right. And that tells you something about the power of our god versus other gods that you know, foreign nations were looking on and going, this has to be the work of a whole pantheon. Mm -hmm. it, it can't just be a single being. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of interesting. I hadn't, hadn't considered that, but that oh. makes sense. I mean, I mean, I took note of the wording, and I, I was wondering if it, if it was uh, a translation choice or if it was that they were thinking it was more than one God. It is a translation choice because it is Elohim. Mm -hmm. uh, which we also know can be used for the name of God. But right. the, the context and the way it's being used, and especially if you look at the cultural context coming out of the mouths of the Philistines, right. 
right. then then you have to go what what is the right translation here and I, I think the ESV did make a good call here and they recognize what I thought was interesting that these gods are dangerous right Israel doesn't seem to have a clue they they think that they're okay to do whatever they want to do with the ark it's also interesting that they know the history of Israel and now, there's some mix-up on where the plagues are because, you know, the, the plagues are in the wilderness, but they know that the plagues happened. Mm -hmm. well, you know, it's not their history. I mean, a lot of commentators are like, oh, my goodness, they don't know, and there's a mistake. It, it's the enemy talking about another nation's history. Right. We do this today. It, it, it's not that big of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how, how often do you get a Christian commentator mis, uh, misrepresenting other religious practices? Yeah. But they, they at least had some clue. And the thing is, Israel's the one who's supposed to tell their story. And we're going to see this in Samuel very many times coming up, that they're supposed to tell their story to themselves as mm -hmm. they're seeking guidance. They're supposed to remind themselves of what God did in Egypt and why the story of the Exodus is so important to their identity as a nation and as uh, individuals. And the, the weird thing about this, beside all the other stuff, mm -hmm. is... There's a fear reversal. Instead of them saying, oh, no, we can't do this. We need to run away and hide. They actually go, oh, you know, if we're going to die, we're going to die. Uh, you stand up, be men, be mm -hmm. brave. If we're going to fight this God because this is what men do. Yeah. And <laughs> so uh, there might be something on that hated term, toxic masculinity there. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Yes. We're not even going to start <laughs> with that today. But yeah, well, it's just so weird because instead of, Instead of seeing this as a reason to flee, they actually use it as a battle cry to rally the troops, which is what Israel should be doing. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be so many times coming, going forward in, in Samuel that there is not. Uh, Did you get your phone you, by, the, by the cable there? I have no idea. Uh, I don't think so. But anyway. But, Sorry, we got some noise here. Carry so, on. Okay. Yeah. But it, Israel is. is trying to remember what I was going to say. Instead of, instead of seeing these overwhelming numbers and saying our God is bigger, mm -hmm. it, they're going to run away. And the Philistines have the, the faith response. Maybe it's faith in the wrong place, but they have a faith response to still be able to stand. Right. They're doing what the Israelites should have done. And now, verse 10, we find out that Israel's defeated. Every man flees to his home. and this is not an organized retreat. This is straight up desertion. And we're told that 30,000 foot soldiers die. Mm -hmm. Okay. That number is going to become significant much later in Second Samuel mm -hmm. when David goes to collect the ark and take it into Jerusalem. He assembles 30,000 men. So we'll, you know, I'm sure you'll forget. I'll forget yeah. by then, but we'll go, you know, just. But we'll touch on it later. Yeah, we'll touch on it later. So. The ark's captured in verse 11, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they die. Okay, so the, the unthinkable has happened. Mm -hmm. The ark, God's throne, it's been taken. What, what kind of God can have his throne stolen by human beings? This is really messing with the theology of the day. Right. This is, this is not supposed to happen. Phinehas and, and Hophni, they die. Carrying the ark. In, in essence, 
their disrespectful act makes them a target. Mm-hmm. And so here they thought the Ark was going to protect them, and it actually probably plays a major part in why the Philistines chose to kill them or could find them even. Right. Well, I mean, I imagine the Ark was kind of weighty and slow you down. Uh, well, could be. We're <laughs> going to talk about that. So, um, so on the surface of all of this, it's... It's almost like God has been defeated or he's died, that Fincos and Hofni have died. These 30,000 men, it's, it's just death, death, death all over the place. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're supposed to remember that in chapter three, this was, God prophesied this was going to happen. He told Eli, here's going to be the sign that your house is going to be cut off. And it says your two sons are going to die on the same day together. And this is to show us that even Hannah's prophecy of reversals, it's coming true. It's Mm -hmm. happening. So we have this God who's been defeated, yet somehow he's still managing to make his prophetic words happen. Right. If you're an ancient Israelite, this is frying your brain. Mm -hmm. Because none of this makes makes sense. And on top of that, we have that that crazy mix-up of the, the Israelites' view of God and the Philistines' view of God. and you know, with the everything pointing that basically you can put anybody into any role in the story and it's going to work mm-hmm. because nobody's being who they are or who they're supposed to be or right. who we expect them to be. Mm-hmm. So anyway, verse 12, we're, we're moving into the death of Eli and a man of Benjamin ran from the battle and came to Shiloh the same day, his clothes were torn and dirt on his head. Now, in the book of Eli, we're, I'm sorry, the book of Samuel, book of Eli is a different story. Denzel Washington. Yeah. Nice movie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> book of Samuel. Uh, we're not supposed to be overly fond of Benjamin. Uh, this is where Saul's from. And of course, we want to support the Davidic monarchy. Sure. Now, Rashi claims that this man from Benjamin actually running up is Saul. And okay. now he, he supports this by saying that when David eulogizes Saul in 2 Samuel one twenty three, and he refers to this event, that Samuel's uh, ability to run, that this is what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was just because of all the, you know, quote unquote, qu- coincidences in the right. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it's probably not. Now, this is a 20 mile run. I thought this was interesting. I, I couldn't run a mile if my life depended on it. And this guy runs 20 miles to tell the city what's happened. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of connections with the story and events that are going to be happening in the future. So uh, in 2 Samuel 1, we also have a man with torn clothes, dirt on his he- head. He's running from a battlefield and he has the announcement of death and deaths that end leadership. Um, in 2 Samuel 15, 32, again, we have another man. This time, an archite came running to David with his clothes torn, dirt on his head, and David employs him as a, as a spy. That's when Absalom took over the throne for a short period of time. So this idea of men coming in from battle with torn clothes, dirt, it's always about a regime change or an attempted regime change. Okay. And that, that theme plays throughout Samuel. Now, it's really interesting is if you look at the, um, 
the progression because the torn clothing, the word in Hebrew is different. It might be the same in the English. I had, didn't look them up, but each word in the Hebrew is, is different. The, um, here in, in uh, 1 Samuel, this is referring to a uniform. He's a soldier. Okay. So it it's, uh, literally means measured. And so that he, he's wearing a, an outfit that's been measured because gotcha. uniform was measured. The second one is just a coat. Um, it, I think believe, I believe at that point, it's an Ammonite who, who shows up. It's just a coat. It's not any, he's not a soldier. Right. But then by the time we get to Absalom's story, it's the same outfit that we find all of David's kids clothed in. It's the, the outfit that nobility wears. Mm-hmm. It's the outfit that Joseph was given by Pharaoh. Right. So there, there's a tip off in the, in the change of station with all of these people. Hmm. And the, the writer of Samuel, I just bring that up to show you, he, he knows how to use his words well. And he puts these little hints within his writing that unless you're paying attention, you might not notice. Right. So anyway, that's a freebie. Verse 13, when he arrived, talking about the Benjaminite, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, watching for his heart, trembled for the ark of the Lord. And then the man came into the city, told the news, and all the city cried out. Now, contrast that with the beginning of the story. They cried out and they made the earth tremble because they were so confident they were going to win. Mm-hmm. And now there's lament. And so the writer's showing you, 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 you can't trust a big army. Matter of fact, in Samuel, if you have a massive army, just they're going to lose. Anytime yeah. there's any kind of, of significant military force, God's going to say, uh-uh, I'm not going to be a part of that. But this is, um, you know, this is kind of to be expected that, that they would lose at this point because we know nothing's going right. And also notice Eli's concern is not for his sons. Right. He's worried about the ark. Yeah. So he's not a bad guy. He really does love the Lord. He really does want to protect the things that belong to God. He just, he's kind of clueless. And matter of fact, this is kind of an interesting contrast that we also see in the scripture. You can take somebody like Rebecca, who she is very wise, and she knows how to get her favorite son the blessing. But she may not be the most moral person in the world. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's always acting. She may not be doing the right thing, but she's always acting. Whereas Eli, I, he, he seems to have a heart for the Lord, and he seems to have a very focused view of the world that, that is on the Lord, so much so that he can't see anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of a warning to us, you know, that Jesus really meant what he said when he said, be wise as serpents and, and harmless as a dove, that we're supposed to balance both of those things. Because if you're too far off, to the right or the left with that, you're going to get yourself in trouble, maybe even your own family. But he is sitting in his chair. Um, this is a sign of wealth and authority. It's, it's basically a throne. Mm-hmm. And when he hears the uproar, notice he, he's sitting by the road where, where the people are watching, mm-hmm. waiting for messengers. He, he didn't see the messenger. He, he's completely blind. He's sitting in, the, sitting in the place of watching, but he can't see anything. And he's blind at this point. So when he hears, because that's Eli's superpower, he can hear, he just can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's wanting to see, know what's going on. And the young man tells us what, what happens. Um, 
But before that, we were also told that Eli's 98 years old and he is completely blind. So his spiritual condition is now, now mirrored in his physical condition. Right. So the man tells Eli the news. Israel has fled. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. The ark has been captured. So verse 18. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken. He died for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Okay. Now, <laughs> I'm curious about this. Mm-hmm. And I, now, is Eli the only one who's mentioned as a judge who is also a priest? I believe so. Uh, aside from Samuel. Okay. Aside yeah. from Samuel. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious if there's any kind of like tie to... Um, Okay, so Heiser talks about uh, the splitting of the royalty and the priesthood, right? Right. So, and you were talking about Eli is a judge. He's in a ruling mm-hmm. station there, also sitting on basically a throne as a sign mm-hmm. of wealth. He is a priest as well. Now, I do wonder if there is some kind of like an idea of possibly Eli on his own volition trying to uh, set himself up in this uh, order of Melchizedek type of model. I, I don't know if it would be that um, thought out. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm just curious. I, it, I, yeah. I, well, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm kind of having to do a little psychology on Eli. Is he that ambitious? I, because I don't see any ambition in him other than the fact he's on this throne. And that could be, you know, we don't know where he got the throne. Did he? Did his sons provide it for him as a way to elevate themselves? Now I can see them doing that. Well, that's possible. Although you don't get to be high priest, mm-hmm. and you also don't get to be judge without some kind of ambition. This is. There, I mean, it's not necessarily specific or explicit in the text, but there has to be something if you're in those positions. Right. Well, and you know, now with judge, that is something that. God raises up a judge, so you, you don't get to just choose. Right. But at the same time, and, and priest is hereditary, but again, that high priest role is something that you get. But again, what are the priests doing? Uh, we know they've been running around all over the, the countryside doing stuff they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So is Eli one of just the few le- left there who... Yeah, that's that's possible. I was just wondering if there was some kind of like attempt on his part to... To, to set himself up in that position. Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was him. I, I kind of like I said, and we're having to psychologize about his personality from from a little bit of information here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely I can see Hofni and Finkas hoping that that being the sons of the high priest, knowing that one of them was going to inherit that role trying to make it even grand, more grandiose than what it was. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and I may be onto absolutely nothing as well. So I don't, that was well, just a question. It, it's a, I mean, no, it's an interesting thought because it, here's the other thing, because Gideon had done something similar. Now, he wasn't doing it at the tabernacle or at Shiloh. He, he set himself up as a king. He mm-hmm. rejected the title, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he, he still took all of the, the perks of being a king, established mm-hmm. the throne. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, his son Abimelech, he t- kills all of his brothers and becomes the first unanointed king, but he does take the title of king. And then we have a problem with Samuel, which we're going to get into, 
because Samuel's got a problem with the idea of a king, and it, part of it seems to hinge on the idea that he had appointed his sons as judges, mm-hmm. which that's a no-no. God raises up judges. They're not appointed by man. So... Yeah. I just, I just, I just got them business cards, and you're eliminating the position. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and so, no, there, there seems to be this real problem. And, and then, okay, so my brain's running uh, because when we get into Saul, one of the problems with Saul is that he makes the crossover the opposite direction. He tries to do the role and the work of a priest mm-hmm. when he was just the king. So. Again, all of those muddled roles, they're, they're, there's no clear hierarchy, at least none that people are willing to respect. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, uh, but these are the good questions because when you start to, to study these stories and you become familiar with them, you, you do begin to see these kind of overlaps and how they fit together. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't have a good answer, I mean, rule number five, according to me, uh, for biblical exegesis for what it's worth is... If you aren't creating more questions than you're answering, you're probably doing it wrong. Sure. So, I mean, and so we're doing it right. But I hope uh, so. <laughs> me too. I hope so. <laughs> me too. But, you know, Eli, he does handle the death of his sons. He, he just kind of, and he's okay, but this actually makes me think, because one of the, the requirements for being a king is that you have a son to pass it on to. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't seem to be worried about the fact that his sons are dead. Right. And, and maybe not even necessarily that it was specifically with Melchizedek in mind, mm-hmm. but it was just it something was in that pa- something that wasn't supposed to happen yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's only and, in and Christ we see the exactly. Yeah, it's, it's something that men were trying to do that only Jesus was supposed to do. And that's a problem because that's exactly where it's those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the theme. One of the themes in Samuel is people doing things they're not supposed to do before it's time to do it. And why? God is never happy about it. And so, no, that's, that's good. We can play with that so, idea. So, okay, well, and you're talking about timing. Uh, who was it? Was it uh, someone in, was it in the paddle store or was it in the Raven Creek? Was it TJ? That sounds about right. I uh, was talking about how TJ the, the, asked good questions. He asked great questions. Uh, shout out <laughs> to TJ. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, the, he asked, he was talking about reading the wisdom literature and how so much of that is concerned with timing. And knowing when things are appropriate. So we also have kind of a tie-in to that theme as well. So we mm-hmm. see that in the, in the narrative and in the wisdom literature. Well, so that's kind of cool. We see it in Genesis 1. Or Genesis 3, sorry. Don't, mm-hmm. don't eat. You're not ready for the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. wasn't that God was going to keep them ignorant. The timing was wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole other teaching. But we see that that runs through everything. And, and, and most sins are not sins of doing something is is wrong you're just doing it at the wrong time yeah and now there are a few things that you should never do but really that's that's the short list right so so yeah so tj thanks for your contribution we're going to double what you pay what we pay you (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) so but there's also a couple of things going on with samuel beyond you know he's just upset because the ark has been stolen um he you know he, he falls backwards off his throne and he he breaks his neck and there's some important details. We're told that he's old. Mm-hmm. Remember, when you get excessive detail in, in the Bible, the, the writer's trying to tell you something because we don't get excessive detail. We've just had some major battles and we know almost nothing about them. Mm-hmm. But um, he's old. So the writer is excluding 
Eli from the curse that God has put on his house. Eli's not part of that. He wasn't cursed along with his sons because he was not the one who, who was doing these things. Right. So the, the curse begins with Hophni and Phinehas. Eli just gets to witness it, which, you know, that's pretty horrible in and of itself if you're a parent. Fortunately, he only had to live with it for, you know, three seconds. Right. So um, he's dethroned. I, he, his his but, rule. Yeah. Were it, we going to go on with the other details other I, than I, he was old? Oh, he's heavy. Yeah, I, I, I skipped that one. Now, yeah. now, is this the same word is this as, as glory? Yes. You, and this is one of those examples of where we have to use context clues because we weren't saying he, or, or, I mean, because we're not trying to say he was old and glorious. Um, <laughs> right? Necessarily. Seems it, a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, and particularly knowing the corruption that was going on at Shiloh. Exactly. And yes, context is what rules here. And he's old and he's heavy. And he's burdensome is another name uh, in translation of that word. Hmm. And so we're being told kind of about his physical stature. He dies of a broken neck. This is, he's symbolically de- decapitated. Mm-hmm. And it's when he hears about the ark, it's specifically connected to when he hears about the ark. Right. And so these little details are going to show up again in chapter five. So you might want to hang on to those in the back of your brain. Okay. So this is the last time that Shiloh is seen as a place of worship. Uh, the ark is never returned to Shiloh, not, not once. Uh, Samuel, actually, after this, he's going to move the spiritual um, place of worship to Ramah. That's where his parents were from. So he, okay. he finally gets to go home. It's good to be self-employed, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just work from anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he does. He works Sorry. from four different cities and he just makes a circuit. And that's going to play a part of his story, too. But uh, we're, we're never specifically told Shiloh is destroyed in Samuel. Where we do have references to it is in Psalm 78, 60, and in Jeremiah 7, verses 12 through 14, and then again in 26, verses 6 and 9. And it explic- explicitly tells us that, that Shiloh was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now. Samuel's prophecy um, to Eli contained that word, the ears are going to tingle. Mm -hmm. And so that's another reason we think that probably it was destroyed because the only other times we have that phrase used is in connection with destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. Hmm. Now, Finkelstein, if you remember our conversation with Becca, uh, Finkelstein's an archaeologist. Oh, right, right, right. And he has confirmed that there is the appropriate ash layer at the appropriate time at Shiloh, that Shiloh was destroyed by fire. Okay. So we can confirm that Shiloh was destroyed at this point. We, we can't specifically say that it was because this is what happened. Right. But we can say it, a destruction happened. And we really don't have any other historical reason to expect there to be destruction mm-hmm. at Shiloh. So, but it, Finkelstein also, I believe Becca said, he's one that does not necessarily believe the Bible is a, is a credible source for historical details. Sure. So um, basically all of that to say everything's pointing to the fact that this is the end of Shiloh. Okay. So um, verse 19, Finkas' wife, she hears that uh, you know, the ark has been destroyed, that her husband's dead, her brother-in-law's dead, her father-in-law's dead. and when she hears this, she immediately goes into labor and the women tell her not to be afraid. She's had a son, 
but she pays absolutely no attention. And so in verse 21, it tells us that she names the um, names this child Ichabod, or we say Ichabod. Uh, this is not the same Ichabod that fights the headless horseman. This is a different one. Right. And now the ESV um, translated the glory has departed. That, that's the reason for him to have this name. But a better translation is the glory has been exiled. Right. Exiled means something totally different to us as, you know, Bible departed. readers. Yeah. yeah. And departed. You know, okay. He went home for the evening. Right. <laughs> so, Gone on vacation. Yeah. We know exile is not good. It's a punishment. And so we, we don't want to hear that our God has gone into exile. But this is the name she gives her child in verse 21. But then in verse 22, she repeats herself. She said, the glory has departed from Israel where the ark of the Lord has captured. So the rest of the, the, rest of the reasons don't matter. The, the thing she's concerned about, once again, we have a woman who has a clue that the men don't seem to understand. And she's saying, I get it. This is wrong. This shouldn't have happened. And she probably recognizes that her husband, you know, played a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. So this story actually connects us back to Genesis 35, verses 16 through 20. And this is the story of Rachel giving birth to Benjamin along the roadside. Um, they were on their way. They left Laban's house. And she goes into labor. and. It's not where they expect. They haven't arrived yet. You know, they're probably hoping to get to a camp before she gave birth. It was a very hard labor. And Rachel um, realizes that she's dying and, and she names Benjamin. Uh, she actually names him Benami, which son of my sorrow, son of my grief. Uh, another translation, which is more disputed, but I think works within the narrative better, is son of my sin. Mm -hmm. That it's a confession, you know, that she'd taken the teraphim and she shouldn't. So we've got this idea of taking things you shouldn't also connected back in. Um, now, the, the women attending, the women attending uh, this woman here, uh, Fincas's wife, says, do not be afraid for you have a son. And the women attending Rachel say, do not be afraid for you have another son. Mm -hmm. So the, almost the exact same wording. And the children are both named by their dying mothers. Mm -hmm. Now, the tragedy is that there's no father to rename Ichabod, right. where Jacob says, son of my sorrow, that can't be my son. Right. But the right. son of my strength, that can be my son. Yeah. And that's, that was actually what I was thinking of, like, yeah, we, there's, yeah, so not, not being able to be renamed that. I, and that interesting. Well, and it is, because, I mean, it has such major consequences, and, and because when you get renamed in the Old Testament, you're not just getting a new name, you're getting... A totally new identity, your destiny is being changed. And, and think about that in context with the New Testament, where we get a new identity, we're reborn, and now we're children of God. And it doesn't matter what was said about us before. The only thing that matters is the Father has given us a name. Mm -hmm. So the, this, this tie to Rachel is another point within Samuel that we're going to see because Saul's a Benjaminite. He mm -hmm. is one of the, the children of Rachel, and Rachel's tomb is going to play a part in this, and I, that's going to be really interesting, but we're going to get to that later. Right. But also, Ichabod's um, birth kind of stands in contrast, not kind of, it does, with the birth of Samuel, because 
Samuel's mother had, uh, had prophesied there's going to be a reversal and there's going to be hope for the marginalized. Mm-hmm. Ichabod should have been born into this place of honor. He should have been, you know, remembered and, and uh, celebrated as you know, one of the future priests. Right. And he's born in the midst of tragedy. And Ichabod's mother mourns the fulfillment of the prophecy because she recognizes what it means for her son. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a dying mother who knows her son's going to die young. How young is that? What's he going to get to experience? Is he going to live to be married? Is he going to have kids? All of these questions while she's dying in a, in a place that's getting ready to be destroyed. Right. This, this is a horrible birth compared to Samuel, who, you know, his birth is supernatural and he, he is the product of prophecy and he is going to prophesy. Um, one child celebrates God's power to answer prayers. The other child is a lament that God has been defeated. So they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything keeps pointing us back to, to the question, how can God be defeated? How can he be sent into exile and still make his prophecies come true? This would have blown their minds. They wouldn't have been able to grasp it. But, right. but we know that this is not something that's just an ancient problem. This is something that, that we still have to grapple with, that it's very rarely an either-or situation. And they, you know, we have a hard time thinking there's a third option and that God had removed himself and no one had taken him. Yeah, well, it's like we talked about last time with you know, God letting the temple be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And, and even this, and... You know, I might be jumping ahead here, but, you know, there's there's the idea. There's there's kind of a, a type of the uh, the crucifixion narrative where Jesus, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And it's so. Well, no, but that's we're right back to the question. How does a God die? How is a God defeated? Is right. a God who can be defeated worthy of our worship? How do the dead live again? That, well, the guy, thing, well, and that's the thing. It's, it's not a God who can be defeated by anyone else's strength, but it's only by giving up mm-hmm. uh, or not giving up. But, uh, but it's, if you it, it's, it's hard to articulate the, the <laughs> you know, it's terribly hard to articulate the mystery that is the crucifixion and <laughs> resurrection. You know, let's 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 not even get into, you know, how does the foundation of the of the universe enter the universe? Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, but these, this is what the force, this is all foreshadowing. And because yes, to the, the Israelite there at Shiloh, getting this news from the messenger, it does look like the end. Mm-hmm. It, it looks absolutely devastating. And, and the same thing, I mean, think about the apostles at the night of the crucifixion. Where, where were they? What, what were they thinking and saying and you know doing to try to cope with the loss of their Lord? Well, I mean, there's that. But I mean, I'm also thinking about just other, uh, I, just some of the other stuff that's presented in the gospel narrative. And, I, and I've got more to talk about this, but I want to wait till we get through the next section <laughs> before I talk about it. But something that, that's kind of interesting is you have someone who runs to tell the news mm-hmm. that we've been defeated. Mm-hmm. And in the gospel, you have someone who runs to tell the news I didn't that he's alive. That. I mean, it's, it's really amazing when you, again, you, all these ties back and forth. Yeah. And the, the reversals and how they, they make you see the, the greater story of the Bible. And you begin to realize that this really can't be a book that some people just got around the table one night and said, okay, you write this part and I'm going to write that part. 
it, it really had to be divinely inspired to encompass all this because every time you find a new connection, you're finding a new way that God says, how are we going to weave the story a little tighter? Mm-hmm. How, how are we going to make it make a little bit more sense and that if, the people don't expect? Yeah. And if they're not convinced yet, yeah. well, wait, there's more. I mean, there's a reason why faith might come from hearing and... Yeah. So no, I, it really does blow my mind whenever we start, you start looking at all the ties. And again, you know, and we're not, we're not ones who typically just automatically read Jesus into the authorial intent. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the I don't think person with pen in hand may not have been thinking that. Yeah. I don't think that was even on the radar. But again, because here's the other thing. If you take Heschel, <laughs> that the, the Bible is not man's book about God, but it's mm-hmm. God's book about man. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. And God's saying, this is the way the world works. 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 And then we get to the gospel and, and Jesus saying, this is the way my kingdom works. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. a totally different, I mean, it's not totally different, but it's, it's again, that reversal theme and, and getting into, this is what I had for humanity. From it, the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's not, yeah. Yeah, and then when you tie that back into Judges, and you talk about the Exodus, and you talk about, you know, I will send my word before you, there's my, the angel with, with my name in him, mm-hmm. and that Jesus was there, and that he, he tabernacled, and you know, John 1, 1, or not John 1, uh, John 1, sorry. Yeah, John remember. chapter 1, yeah. Yeah. And the word she, became flesh, and, and yeah. yeah. He tabernacled with, with the people, and so God has been showing the world from the beginning of time, my desire, my hope is to be with you. Mm -hmm. That's all I really want Mm -hmm. is to be with you. I want to be remembered in the things that you do. And, you know, isn't that every human relationship? Mm -hmm. I mean, Ty brings me home a bag of sour gummy worms because he remembered me while he was at the convenience store. I'm happy. Right. You know, so, you know, this is, if we can see these things in, in human relationships, why do we think that a divine relationship is so complicated? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so simple, but yet we have to complicate it and we have to add on all of these different things that you've got to do in order to please God. And God says, just remember me. And well, how do you remember him? By, by loving him. And mm-hmm. how do you love him? Don't do the things he doesn't like. Right. You know, it's, right. it's the same principle. We can grasp this. The, the faith of the Bible is not hard because it, it is all about relationship. And I think we forget that. And we, we kind of um, think that it is about all of these ritual observances. And the thing is, as we move forward into to Samuel, we're going to have a guy who, who's really good at ritual observances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's very pious. He, he's got the religion down. He knows how to make the over-the-top grand gestures of faith. Mm-hmm. But he blows it. Yeah. Over and over again, and, and it actually serves as a warning for us that it's not about being pious. It's about having faith and faith enough to believe that God is who he says he is mm-hmm. and that he will do what he says he will do. And we've got to stop trying to help him out because all that is is doubt. Right. And it's, right. It, it, it's a, a questioning of his love and a refusal to let his love be manifest in us and through us. And so I... I know we probably borderlined on preaching there, but you know, yeah. Well, and, and actually, you know, it's it's kind of funny, and and this is kind of an illustration. I know God is not a child, but you know, it's it's whenever as parents we see our kids doing something like you know, 
my oldest daughter is learning to tie her shoes. <laughs> and there's, I just watch it and I'm like, I want to help. Mm-hmm. But I have to believe that she can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because she can, you know, it takes right. her longer. But we, you know, and again, God's not the child. It's just we treat him like he's the child. We do. We you do. Know, like, you don't know what's going on. You just showed up on the scene. But no, he was there the whole time. Well, uh, how many times do we amend his word? Well, we know that it says this in the Bible, but it really means that. Because, right. you know, he's not capable of speaking in a way that we understand. Sure. And instead of believing that, oh, you know, we'll use a, a an example that's pretty familiar with me and what I do otherwise. You know, premarital sex. God says, don't do it. Right. And, you know, it's not a good idea. And now we know that just, you know, factually, as far as, you know, taking the religion aspect out of it, mm-hmm. it's not a good idea. Right. And there's, you know, there's physical ramification, there's emotional ramifications, and there's mental ramifications. And there's a lot of times in today's culture, there's financial ramifications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, instead of saying, hey, God might actually have a clue about this thing called humanity and how we need to live we we try to help him out yep. because it just seems too hard. And the what's hard is waiting until the appropriate time. So, so to tie it all back together. <laughs> so like I I think that's a good spot to 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 end. I do want to kind of wrap up some more of the uh the crucifixion stuff once we get through the next section. Okay. Um but I I don't want to like I don't want to have to like fight for time or we're coming up close yeah. to the hour mark. And so everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, be back next week and we'll, we'll go into more of this and how it ties into, to the story of Christ, because I, I do want to make sure everyone knows we, we love Jesus. We're, mm-hmm. we're all about the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we spend a lot of time in the old Testament, he's there too. He, yeah, <laughs> he's been there the whole time. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, be, be sure to join us next week if you have uh, want to be part of the conversation, ravencreeksc.com or ravencreeksc on all the social media. You can find us and we'll be glad to, to join you. In glad for you to join us in the conversation. <laughs> um, speculation. Speculation, ideas, thoughts, and, and uh, you know, whatever else you got going on. Um, if you really did like what you heard and you want to help, uh, uh, help us kind of keep paying our hosting fees and uh, possibly upgrading some equipment in the future. Um, be sure to hit up patreon.com slash Raven Creek SC where you can maybe pass a couple bucks and buy us some coffee and pay for Emily's gas money driving back and forth. So anyway, thank you again. And we will be back next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the faith and other oddities podcast, a Raven Creek social club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash SC. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.